This is a special day, a special weekend, because we are wrapping up the 100-day dare. And if you happen to be here with us for the first time, um, I want to tell you real quickly, the 100-day dare is something that uh, God led Pastor Sean to uh, kick off at the beginning of January, 100 days of consistent attendance here on the weekend, 100 days of jumping in and serving somewhere, saying yes to serving, being a part of team journey, 100 days of reading through a Bible reading plan that took us from Genesis to Revelation, not every single verse, but an overview of the Bible, and 100 days of being a part of a group, what we call DARE groups, here at Journey Church. Those four things are, are what make up the 100-day dare. And we are now coming to the end of this 100 days. And so today, what we're going to do is we're going to take a quick look back at what has actually happened, what has been accomplished. We're going to kind of take an inventory of the fruit that has come out of this time. Because, listen, this is not just a clever way to start out the year. You know, we need a good, clever way to get people motivated and start 2022. Let's do this 100-day dare thing. No, this is something that God called us to do. And it isn't just a blessing for 100 days. It's, I think as we look at this and we kind of take stock of what's happened, uh, we're going to see that this is, this is the ignition of something that God is doing. And so that's what we're going to do today. But we are, I can tell you this, and I know Pastor Sean could verify this too, we are a healthier church than we were at the beginning of January. And I'm not, and I'm not saying we weren't a healthy church at the beginning of January, but we are healthier now than we were then because of what we've been doing. Uh, Becky DeWitt, our director of Journey Kids, shared this with me on Friday. And I'm going to read, read to you what she said. She said, over half of our kids are participating in the Bible reading plan. Uh, there are families now that, with kids that are a part are, and plugged into D.A.R.E. groups. Listen to this. 90% of our fifth and sixth graders are serving now during weekend services at least one time a month. Uh, and most importantly, these kids are excited about their relationship with God and wanting more of what he has for them. Is that incredible? Yes. This, we're talking about our kids. And this is, this is something that's so critical, so important. Uh, I've heard the phrase, God has no grandchildren. You know what that means? That means that each and every person, regardless of their age, has a direct connection to God as father. And just because there's a child that's in a household of people that love God and serve God, it doesn't mean that they don't need to have a connection with God as their father too. And that's happening. And so that's something to be excited about. This whole thing has been a God thing. So we're going to take a few moments today, and we're just going to look back at what we've done, what God has done, and, and we're going to look at some ways that we can take this new ground that I believe we've taken for the kingdom of God and move forward from here. And so what I'm going to be really practical with you today, 
um, maybe more so than I normally would be. And then Pastor Sean is going to uh, conclude this uh, by way of video uh, <laughs> as, uh, we, as, as more of a spiritual direction um, at the end. But I, I'm going to get real practical with you. In fact, you know what? Uh, I'll tell you what. Bear with me. Hold on just a second. almost forgot my sermon notes. Um, we'll, we'll, get, we'll get to those here in a second. So the first thing that I really want to talk about and probably spend most of our time here, I want to just look at the significance of what we did reading through the Bible together. This can be something that the, that the power and the significance of what we did can maybe possibly be lost if we're not careful. And so I want to take some time and really get a grip on how big of a deal this is. So we just read through the Bible together. <clears throat> and it's, it's been healthy for us in several ways. Um, and I want you to think about this. Think about what has been gained uh, first off, this has created a discipline uh, for making time with God every day. So this, if you've been participating in this plan with us, then you have established a discipline in your life of spending time in this word of God. That will reap benefits and bear fruit in your life from here forward. In, in other words, that's a game changer. In other words, that's a life-changing, life-altering habit when you give part of your time every day to God's Word. And for many of you, and I know this is the case, for many of you, this is something that has begun in these hundred days. Um, it also has given us an opportunity to find answers to some questions that we've had as we've systematically and intentionally gone through the Bible together. And here's the other thing. Uh, we've found that some questions don't need answers. So this has been a time of growth, maturity, and insight and wisdom that has just been poured into us over these 100 days. And then the thing that I like the most is that by taking this time to read through the Bible together, we are transformed into the image of Jesus. That's what happens when you put God's word into your heart. Because this is supposed to be a mirror that you look into that tells you what you're supposed to look like. I mean, if you think about this, you've never actually seen your face with your own eyes. You've always seen a reflection of your face or you've seen a picture of your face from a camera or a video of your face. Uh, you've never with your own eyes seen your own face. That's not possible. So what I'm saying is when you look into a mirror, you're trusting 
that what you see in the mirror is accurate. But the Bible is a mirror for our life. And when we look into this word of God, it's like a mirror telling us what we should look like. And if you've been reading through with us through the Bible, uh, that has been happening. And you've been seeing the image of God emerge in your own life. So it transforms us into the image of Jesus. This is just some things that's happened. Now, uh, as I was praying about this weekend and seeking God about exactly what to talk about and where to focus, what kept coming back to me is this idea that we have many people that are now reading their Bibles in a more serious way for the first time. And for those of you who that's what's happening with you, what I, what I want to do is just take a little bit of time and talk about the Bible and how to study the Bible. So like I said, it's going to be a little bit practical, but I think most people in here can pick up some things that will help you. So we believe, and Pastor Sean has dealt with this fairly thoroughly in the past, but we believe in the accuracy, the authority, and the authenticity. Oh, that's three A words. I didn't even try to do that. It just happens. The accuracy, the authority, and the authenticity of the Bible. Uh, and like I said, Pastor Sean has dealt with that. We've kind of gone through why that is and why we believe that, why we trust this word. But one of the one of the most powerful uh, statements on the authority of the Bible actually comes from the Bible. And so 2 Timothy 3.16 says this, and I'm going to read this to you out of the amplified version of the Bible, okay? It says, All Scripture is God-breathed, given by divine inspiration, and is profitable for instruction, for conviction of sin, for correction of error and restoration to obedience, for training in righteousness, learning to live in conformity to God's will, both publicly and privately, behaving honorably with personal integrity and moral courage. Courage, yeah. You might be saying, if you, especially if you're coming from like a skeptical mindset, you might be saying, well, the Bible can't corroborate itself. Well, the Bible has been, as far as its accuracy or historical accuracy, has been corroborated by other historical documents. If, if you need that kind of, uh, you know, uh, foundation to establish that for you. But there's Dr. Bruce Metzger, who's from Princeton Theological Seminary. He said, it is safe for any scholar to say that 99.6% of the Bible has been corroborated by other historical documents. So what does that mean? That means when you open up the Bible and you read about something that happened, this guy from this land at this time traveled to this place and this thing happened, what this guy from Princeton is saying is that 99.6% of what is in here People have gone to other historical documents, other historical writings, and established that this is accurate, this is true. And so uh, it's, it's not only true in and of itself, which is the most powerful testimony of its truth, but if you go outside of the Bible, all of the other scientific and historic records establish that it is true. So we've got something amazing here. So 
But maybe during this time, and I know I've talked to some of you and this has been the case, maybe during this time that we've gone through, starting in Genesis, going through the Bible, you've hit a couple spots that I think of as kind of like bumps in the road, right? You know, you're going through and you're reading the maybe things that you've read before and, and it's like, yeah, I know. About, and then all of a sudden you read something that you've never come across before and it presents a question or uh, some confusion. Or maybe there's even been people that have, have told you that the Bible is full of errors or inconsistencies or contradictions. That happens too. So a lot of this can be easily remedied and easily dealt with simply in the way you approach reading the Bible. Now, again, I'm addressing this because I believe there are many of us at Journey Church that have stepped up their activity in reading the Bible. And so there are a lot of people who are going to hit these, what I call, bumps in the road, and you need to be able to understand how to study the Bible when that happens. So I found a video of a guy explaining exa exactly what this, how this happens, how it works, but I'm just giving you a warning before we play it. He's a fast talker. He's a real fast talker. He's like, you ever, you know, like when you see a commercial for like a prescription medication, and then at the very end, they tell you all the reasons why it might actually kill you. But they say that part really fast. This is kind of like that. So I'm just giving you a heads up. You got to put your listening ears on, focus in, pay attention. But this short little video is going to explain how these things happen when there's confusion and why they can be easily remedied. So let's go ahead and play that video. People love to say the Bible is full of errors and contradictions, but the truth is most of them can be pretty easily resolved with a little common sense, honest investigation of the scripture, and the application of a simple method we're about to talk about. So, let's do this. Let's tackle the alleged errors issue. We'll do that by using a method I like to call a simple C. S. Spelling. That's right. Many of the so-called errors in the manuscript are simple variants in letters. Say you have one manuscript that was translated from Greek into Old English and another into American English. Well, the English translators might write down theater with the R-E ending, and the American Howdy, team partner. might write down theater with the E-R ending. Now, that's no error, my fellow thespians. It's a variant in spelling, so that's that for that one. On to the M. M is for mistranslation. This is when the original word might not have been translated to the new language perfectly or something along those lines. you got to realize that sometimes there's not a perfect word equivalent at the time of translations or that the translator simply had a slip of the pen or used a word that perhaps could be translated in different ways. Context and comparison solves this lickety split. For instance, Leviticus 11, 13 through 19 says, and these you should regard as an abomination among birds. The eagle, the vulture, buzzard, and bat. Folks go nuts on this one. Bats aren't birds, bats aren't birds. The Bible is wrong and can't be trusted. Come on. First of all, they didn't have the same animal classifications back then and the original Hebrew word translated bird here is alf, or however you pronounce that. And although correctly translated bird in many places, it also has a broader meaning like having wings or winged creature, which would, of course, include bats. This is all settled pretty easily with a little looking and thinking, I'd say. Moving on to P for perspective. Sometimes the testimony of two people can seem contradictory, but when you pay close attention, it might not be that way at all. Quick example. Say there was a car parked in the middle of the street. There's a person on the right of the car and a person on the left. The person on the right says the car door is blue and there's a baby in the back, and the person on the other side says the car door is white and there are two babies. Now, 
How can this be? These ferocious liars can't be trusted. Now wait a second there, Jimmy Conclusion Jumper. Fact is, the car could be painted white on one side and blue on the other, and if there are two babies in there is one, right? So both are actually illuminating the fullness of the scene. Remember, the guy on the right didn't say there was only one baby, he just mentioned one. You gotta pay attention to the language and perspective, people. Sometimes the whole truth is in the details, you follow? L. Literal versus figurative. It's pretty clear that the Bible contains different writing styles like poetry and narrative and uses different parts of speech like similes, metaphors, and analogies pretty much like we still do today. So if we really want to interpret correctly, it's our job to realize and understand the difference. How, you ask? Great question. By looking at the immediate context using our noggin and comparing it with the rest of scripture. That way we understand when Jesus says in John 10:7 that he is the door, he doesn't mean he's a wooden rectangle that swings on hinges. Need I say more? Finally, C for context. This is the biggie, folks. I'd say most alleged error issues arise when people don't acknowledge the proper context of the verse, they quote only part of it or purposefully misuse it. They might say John 3.16 says for God so loved, but they say Deuteronomy 16.22 says the Lord your God hates. Now which is it? Does he love or does he hate? Well, you know, this is silly because the context of John 3.16 is about God's love for people and the Dute verse is talking about his hate for pillars. You know, if you hack, twist, and misquote everything, you can pretty much make it say whatever you want and that's not really searching for truth. So, there you have it. With a little effort, honest investigation, and application of the simple C method, the idea that the authority or inerrancy of the Bible is in any way diminished due to errors has been debunked. Adios. <laughs> yeah. I told you he was a fast talker. I think you got about 15 minutes worth of video in three minutes there. But if you, if you tracked with all of that, that really is true. That really is accurate uh, as to the, what, the reason why there are sometimes confusions, sometimes uh, misunderstandings about this verse or this passage. It, it comes down to many of the things that he said. And what I want to do is I want to take you through the process real briefly of how I study the Bible. And it's not my patented process or anything like that. This is what a lot of people do. Um, but I want to do this because I want to remove the assumption that you have to have a uh, Bible college degree or you have to go to seminary or you have to be a pastor or something like that to, to really study the Bible. It's not true. It's not, this is not like, uh, you know, molecular physics or something like that where you have to go get a degree in order to even consider the subject. Uh, this is something you can do. You can do this. This is not as challenging as it seems. And I'm going to show this to you. So when I encounter something in Scripture that creates a question or even a challenge for me, I have a process that I use to dig deeper. And that right there is the key thing. You dig deeper. There's a verse in the Bible that says, it's the glory of God to conceal a matter, and it's the glory of kings to search out a matter. And so what you're going to come across things. Why does it say that? Why does it say it that way? I thought that, I thought that things were like this, but this verse seems to be saying that. And so there's a way to, uh, to dig deeper. And... Um, in the olden days, okay, um, there would be tools that I or anybody else who's wanting to dig deeper would use that were very helpful, uh, very effective tools for digging deeper and understanding what the Bible is saying on any point and on any given subject. And that's why I brought this big, imposing stack of books up here to show you uh, how I, and like I say, lots of people, 
would study the Bible. There's lots of resources you can get a hold of. Um, and then I'm going to show you how much easier it is than you think. So, like, I've got a study Bible here. Um, this is a, a special Bible that is, obviously, it's very thick and full of a lot of information that, as you read through the Bible, it, it kind of uh, focuses you and leads you into deeper study. Um, the biggest one's right here. The, you know, like, when you read your Bible... How at the, at the end, right before you get to the map section, you've got the concordance, most of you probably do, you know, where it's like, I want to see verses on grace. And then you open the concordance and it shows you where all those verses are found and you can go look it up. Well, this is just a giant colossal concordance, exhaustive concordance. And so if you're sitting down with your coffee and you want to study the Bible, you might have one of these open up so that you can find places. I want to find, what does the Bible say about love? You get a concordance out, and it'll help you find those places. Because I know you guys think that Pastor Sean and me and ministry leaders, we just have it all memorized, and we can just, like, recall it all, right? No, we use a concordance. There's a, and the, right here we have a Bible dictionary, okay? And this is just exactly what it sounds like it is. It's a dictionary of Bible terms, and so if you come across a word and you don't quite know what that means or you want to know what it originally meant, things like that, this resource helps you find that. And then there's a couple other types of Bibles here. And um, this is a commentary. Well, that was a commentary. This is an interpreter's Bible. But the commentary is another helpful study tool. Again, just imagine, put yourself in this place of you're sitting there, you're reading the Bible, you read a verse that doesn't seem to make sense with what you already know. It's like new information. You're not quite sure how to take it. A commentary is a scholarly work. It's in more of an academic work where a Bible scholar has gone through the Bible and written out explanations and kind of an expanded teaching on what the Bible is saying all throughout, you know, wherever it is you're reading in the Bible. And so if you want, you know, an expert, uh, depending on what commentary you use, um, to tell you what does this verse mean, then that's what a commentary does. Now, I intentionally brought this giant stack of big, heavy books out to show you that, number one, there are tools available that are not, even though they're great big books, they're not hard to navigate. Uh, they're available. Anybody can get books like this, and you can study and dig deeper into the Bible. But what I really want to show you is there, there are simple, easy-to-use apps and uh, applications for your computer, for your mobile device that have all of that information included in them. And they're very, very easy to navigate. And for just a second here, this is going to sound a little tiny bit like an infomercial, but I promise you it's not. Okay? So just bear with me. But I, I'm telling you this because I think it's really important. Because I get, and I know Pastor Sean gets on a regular basis, people emailing us or messaging us saying, I came across this verse. I don't understand what it means. What does this mean? And 
I want you to know that you have access to the same tools we do to figure this stuff out. So on your phone or your iPad or whatever the case is, you can get a, a different type of an app that will help you study the Bible. Now, the one that I use is called Bible Gateway. And this is not a commercial for Bible Gateway. There are many different ones. Different people use different ones. But I want to go ahead and put the QR code for Bible Gateway up on the screen just in case you need a starting place. You need, uh, you're just like, I don't care what it is. Just give me one so I can start working with it. This, is, this QR code's for Bible Gateway. If you use your phone, your camera, and you zoom in on this behind me, it will take you to Bible Gateway and you can get going with it. I actually pay for the annual subscription that gives me even more content. So here's what these apps have, just to give you an idea. Uh, they have many, many, many different translations of the Bible. They have many different commentaries, so not just one commentary, many different ones. They have different Bible dictionaries. They have different special translations of the Bible that are like a study Bible, or a topical Bible, or things like that. And then they integrate it all so that your experience is very smooth and seamless and user-friendly. So what would happen is, if you're reading the Bible, and you come across something where you just want to learn a little bit more about what you're reading, you can right there on the spot, you can go to a different translation and see what it says in a different translation, because how many of you guys know the Bible was not originally written in the English language, right? It was written in Hebrew, Aramaic, and Greek. And when, that, when those languages are translated into English, sometimes uh, it loses some things in translation. So you can look at different translations. Uh, if you're still wanting to dig deeper, you can jump over and look at the commentary for that particular passage and see what a Bible scholar has written about the history of that passage, who wrote it, what they were meaning to say, things like that. So there are all of these tools and all of these resources in here. And whenever Pastor Sean asks me to speak and I have a verse that I think it might cause some confusion, I will go through five or six different translations and I'll go through three or four different commentaries before I type up what I actually want to say just to be sure that I can present something clear and easy to understand and accurate to what the intention of the Bible is. So what I want to do is, really quickly, I want to demonstrate this to you. I want to model this for you right here, right now, on how this might look. And so let's say that you're reading through Psalms 8, and you get, through, you get to Psalms 8, 3 through 5, and it says this, and you're reading in the New International Version of the Bible, pretty common version of the Bible. When I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have ordained, what is man that you are mindful of him, and the son of man that you visit him? For you have made him a little lower than the angels, and you have crowned him with glory and honor. Now, if I'm reading through that, and I have a question about that term, angels, and I want to know, is that what they, I mean, is that the right English translation? Did that make it from Hebrew to English accurately? Then what I might first do is check some different 
Bible translations. And again, if I have my giant stack of books, then I'm going to have five or six Bibles that are different translations and look that all up. But if I got my phone or my iPad, then I'm just going to click a different translation and see what it says. Well, when I go to the King James, it uses the same term, angels. Okay, so I'm like, all right, NIV, King James, says the same thing. If I keep digging and I go to the English Standard Version of the Bible, which, by the way, is what we use typically here at Journey Church when we put a verse up on the screen. When I get to that verse, yet you have made him a little lower than the heavenly beings. Okay, so they used a different term. But it's kind of interchangeable, right? I mean, angels, they're heavenly beings. And so I'm like, okay, it's a different word. That translator used a different word. But I, I still get the same meaning, right? It's still conveying the same message. Well, if I go to the Amplified Bible, which I read you a passage out of the Amplified earlier, the Amplified's an interesting Bible. It's, it's, the foundation of it is the American Standard Bible, but the Amplified version is, and let me read the description, it's, a, it's unique among Bible versions in that it provides amplifications, which would be synonyms, explanations, and brackets and parentheses within the text. The strength of this version is that it acknowledges that no single English word or phrase can capture precisely the meaning of the Hebrew or Greek. And so what the Amplified Bible is saying is, look, you're reading this in English, you're not getting the full impact of the original language, so what we're going to do is, as you read, we're going to describe things and kind of give you a little more information as you go, and we're going to put our descriptions in brackets so that you understand this is not the original scripture, but this is our interpretation and description of it. Okay, so if I go through the amplified version and I hit that verse... Yet you have made him a little lower than God. Okay, at that point, stop. Stop everything. I have just hit my bump in the road. My nice little Bible time with my coffee sitting by the window has just been interrupted by confusion because the other translations say, you have made him, we're talking about man, a little lower than the angels. And then I read in this version, and it says, you have made him a little lower than God. These are two totally different things. They don't mean the same thing. They're not interchangeable. They mean something different. And so now, if I'm concerned about what is the true meaning of this verse, I've got to dig deeper. So I've already read uh, different versions of the Bible to try, to try to get a more comprehensive view of this verse. But what I have to do now is, in this process that I'm describing to you, I've got to figure out, what was that word? It wasn't angels. It wasn't God, because they were writing in Hebrew. It was a Hebrew word. What was the Hebrew word? And so when I look that up on my handy-dandy Bible app, I find out that the word was the word Elohim, Elohim. Now, I know some of you in here are like, oh, Elohim means God. There you go. Case settled. We've got it figured out. Those other translations are wrong. They just didn't get it right. Well, when I looked up in the Bible dictionary, see, I'm kind of showing you the process here. In the Bible dictionary, the word Elohim, I find out that it means God, lowercase gods, heavenly beings, or angels. 
In other words, the word Elohim is like a broader concept that can be used for different meanings. And in the Bible, it is used for different meanings in different places. And so here's what I actually read when I studied out Elohim. It said, angels, Hebrew Elohim, is used in the Old Testament to mean God, gods, or supernatural beings. But the Greek Septuagint, which is the Greek version, uh, translates it as angels, as does the writer of Hebrews. And so we see how this word is used to mean different things in different places, which explains why when I hit some translations, I get angels, and when I hit another translation, I get God. It makes sense why that happened. Now, I stopped there. If I wanted to dig deeper and investigate what the intention of that word was, I could do that, and I could find that out. And uh, so these tools are available to you. You can use them. You can answer many of your questions or the confusion that you might encounter, especially if you have just established this habit of sitting down and reading your Bible on a regular basis. It's powerful tools. But the last thing I want to say is by far the most important thing. The biggest answer by far to understanding the Bible and clearing away any confusion is to know that it was meant, it was designed for you to read it in partnership with the Holy Spirit. This is a unique book. This is not a textbook. This is not a history book. It's not a book of facts and stories. There are facts and stories in it, but that's not what this is a book of. This is a living, active book, and it is a means of God to actively, presently communicate with you. And it is designed and put into your hands with the intention of you reading it with the partnership of the Holy Spirit. And if you're doing that, there's a good chance you won't necessarily even need to crack any of these books open. Because when you read the Bible with, in, in a prayerful way, not only with the Bible open, but with your heart open, and your mind open to what God is saying, then the Holy Spirit will bring meaning and truth out of those pages directly into your heart. That's the type of content in the Bible that actually changes you. That's when the Bible becomes not just a regular book. It becomes something that transforms your life, changes your life. You know the verse I always quote, Romans 12 too. It says we're not supposed to be conformed to this world. We're supposed to be transformed by the renewing of our mind. How do you think that happens? It's when you allow the Holy Spirit to take what's in here and put it in your heart, and it begins to bear fruit. Now, here's, here's a verse that establishes what I'm talking about. You have to read the Bible in partnership with the Holy Spirit. Because what's in here is a spiritual, it's spiritual content. 2 Corinthians 2.14 says this, and we don't have it on the screen. I'm just going to read it to you. It says, the natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him. 
and is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. Spiritually discerned. And the Bible is a spiritual book, and it's, it's to be spiritually discerned. So when you read the Bible with a listening ear to what the Holy Spirit is saying, it will produce fruit that will transform your life. Amen? So keep it up. Keep reading it. Let that habit be established in your life. Do it every day. Don't stop. Read it with an open ear to what, what Jesus is saying to you through his spirit. Now, because of this reading plan, we have had all of these sermons and messages over the last 100 days that have tied in to this reading plan. And this has been uh, the most comprehensive uh, sermon series, message series that we have ever had in the history of the church. At least I think it has been. I mean, because we have covered so many things and it's been such a broad range of topics because we're going through the Bible from Genesis to Revelation. And so these, seri- these messages have been transformative for many, many reasons. And I want to tell you what they were. Uh, in fact, you know what? I just want to re-preach all of them right now. <laughs> I won't do that. But we started off, Pastor Sean talked about retoving the world if you remember that. And if you're like, what does that mean? Go back and listen to it. And I really encourage you to do that. Get on our sermon archive, journeykc.com. Go back and listen to that message. We talked about trust. One week we talked about breakthrough. Uh, we, we dealt with the issue of depression in this series. We talked about relational wisdom. How many of you guys remember the week that we talked about water baptism and then we did it? Right? We talked about healing. We talked about humility. Pastor Sean taught on the baptism in the Holy Spirit. We had nearly 100 people that weekend come forward and say, I want this. I want to be baptized in the Holy Spirit. We talked about stepping out and serving God with your yes. We talked about the return of Jesus, Maranatha. Amen. And then we talked about cultivating tove soil. Again, if you don't know what that means, go back, listen to it, check it out. And then also we saw a huge increase in serving all across the board at Journey Church. We saw people step up for the first time and say, I want to serve. I want to get on a serve team. I want to get involved. I've been coming here. I've been coming to weekend services. I've been drinking my coffee and sitting in my seat. I'm ready to get involved. I want to be a part of what's happening. We've seen that increase during these 100 days. And actually, if I were to have everybody stand up who's on a serve team, it would be more than half the people in the room. But that's been an incredibly healthy thing. Now, the last thing I want to talk about before we go to this last video is I want to talk about what's happened in the area of groups at Journey Church for these last 100 days. And this is something that I am admittedly a little biased about because I know how big of a deal it is that you are connected in a group. The, 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 the quote that I use all the time and will continue to use is that there are some aspects of the nature of God that we only experience in relationship with others. What that means is if you're a Lone Ranger, isolated Christian, There are some parts of God's nature that you will not know. And it's not because he's intentionally 
holding himself back with, from you, it's because he's revealing those parts of himself to you through others. And he wants that to happen that way because he's a father with a family and he wants his children to connect. And he talks about we're a part of a kingdom. He talks about we're like stones built together in a wall. We see this wording and this language all through the Bible. So it's important for us to be connected. There are parts of God's goodness you'll only experience in a group. And it's wonderful. You, you get friendship. You get belonging. You get accountability. And one of the cool things that you get, and I don't know if, if anybody else really thinks of it this way or not, but I've seen this for a little while. You get the opportunity to apply what you learn on the weekend. How many of you guys remember being in high school or maybe college? You had like a biology class. And remember, it was broken up into the lecture and the lab, right? In the lecture, you would come into a room, sit in a seat, and listen to some guy or some lady teach. And you'd take notes, and you'd get information, and then you'd leave. But then you'd go to the lab, and you would actually put into practice and talk about the things you learned. This is how groups work. Groups go hand-in-hand with weekend services. And so we've seen a huge uptick of people in groups, and we've seen a lot of new groups come along. And what I want to do is I want to read you a couple uh, just quick uh, testimonies from people that have gotten into these groups and what it's meant and how it's affected their lives. Because I think other people's stories are incredibly powerful. So just listen to a couple of these. It's been so, gro- it's been so great joining your D.A.R.E. group. I've been able to experience iron sharpening iron as well as, as we all encourage one another and share wisdom learned over the years, it's been especially cool to be connected to a group of people who can walk with and pray for each other through life circumstances as they happen in real time. And oh yeah, the food is great too. So what this person is saying is, I'm actually getting to walk through life experiences with other people that are for me, that are a part of the kingdom of God. They're my brothers and sisters in Jesus. And if you don't have that going on, you need it. Another person said, I've really enjoyed being part of our dare group and getting to know people I've gone to church with but never had the chance to spend time with. It's been great sharing the Lord with new friends and hearing what God is doing in their lives. Also, I haven't kept count, but it was awesome hearing of how uh, the many prayers that were answered Uh, with our group. It's been a real blessing. This is also true because you do not have ample opportunity here on the weekend to connect with someone in a meaningful way. And so you might bump into people here on Sundays, but if, or Saturday nights, but if this is all you've got going on, it's not enough. And these groups provide an opportunity for that. I want to just read you one more And we're going to go to this video. We stepped out in faith about leading a dare group, and God has blessed us continuously through the entire process. We have been able to connect with people in a much more meaningful way. Our group has been very uplifting and a constant source of joy. Listen to this. We recently spent time reflecting on all of the answered prayers we've witnessed, healing, comfort, victories, people saying yes to what God has for them. God is moving. I've heard from many different groups that they pray together and they're seeing prayers answered and they're seeing God moved. And I just want to say this. 
these D.A.R.E. groups are getting ready to switch their name to real life groups, but they're still there. They're still functioning. And if you're not in a group, there are opportunities, there are places for you, and you've got to get into a group because you've got to experience these things. Now, um, we've looked back on what God has been doing, and it's a tremendous amount. Um, And I I think we have to look at what has the 100-day dare been for us? Is it like a spiritual uh, you know, New Year's resolution where you really go for it for a couple months and you kind of, you know, uh, let it go? No. Is it like an experiment to just see what life would be like if we really attempted kingdom living? I don't think that's what it is either. It's not a pep rally. It's so much more significant than that. And this this 100-day dare has has really, maybe whether we realize it or not, brought us into a new season. And... Uh, Pastor Sean has something to say about that, and we've got a video of it, and so let's go ahead and roll the video. All right, I'm sitting up in my mushroom spot. This is where I go every single year to find mushrooms, morels. If you didn't know, we're at that time of the season where they start popping, and so I'm up here. I come up here every single year. I came up here this year, though, and found this tree that I'm sitting on right now used to be standing right here. It was like one of the signature things about my mushroom spot that I love so much. And now it's on the ground. And so the whole thing has changed. And there's really a temptation for me to kind of mourn that a little bit because I got so used to seeing that tree, which was the signature spot. Or maybe if I could somehow prop up the tree again and make it look like it used to, which is kind of just the human nature that we have because we tend to gravitate towards the familiar, towards what we're used to, towards the comfortable. But if we're following Jesus, guess what? That means that things are moving. If you're following Jesus, that means you're actually moving. And this last season of this 100-day dare, maybe there's a temptation in us. I know there is in me to kind of want to stay in that because it's familiar, it's comfortable. It's been really, really awesome. Maybe there's a temptation for us to kind of prop up the tree again. And man, if we could just keep doing this, But God is a God who's always moving. And so we've got to continue to have an expectation that God is going to move. I had a word at TNT just this last week about expectation. And and it said something, it was something like this. Your expectation is holding me back from moving. Not because you have expectation, but because you have a certain expectation. See, sometimes we can have a certain expectation about how God has to move or Maybe this is the way God did it in the past, so this is the way God has to do it in the future. And it's actually our expectation for God that becomes the limiter because we're expecting it only in a certain way. And that's what happens when we move from season to season or thing to thing. And we're moving out of one season as a church and moving into another. And sometimes our expectation can actually be a limiting factor. And so I want to encourage us to take the lid off our expectation as we're moving into a new season. It reminded me of the story of Joshua and Moses. Remember, Moses was called by God to lead the people of Israel out of Egypt. And and they wandered around in the wilderness for 40 years and And then finally Moses dies and it gets, the baton gets passed over to Joshua. It's found in Joshua chapter one, verse one. It says, after the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, the Lord said to Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' assistant, Moses, my servant is dead. Now, therefore arise, go over this Jordan, you and all this people into the land that I'm giving to them, to the people of Israel. 
every place that the sole of your foot will tread upon, I have given you, just as I've promised to Moses. So the baton was being passed from Moses to Joshua. It was from one season to the next. It was from really from one anointing into the next. You know, ever since I was a teenager, I knew I was called into ministry and, and uh, I, I kind of became a Joshua to a Moses in our youth ministry years and years ago as a teenager. Uh, I it was serving under a youth pastor who was the first youth pastor of this mega church. He had been there. He was kind of a, a legend in the time of that church. And then he moved on and I was becoming the next youth pastor. And Honestly, I was wrestling with like the insecurities of trying to take the place and follow in the footsteps, probably much like Joshua had with Moses. And during that time, I had one of the youth leaders, they came up to me and they said, I have a word from God for you. And I was like, okay. And they said, but it's a little bit strange. And here was the word that they had. They just simply said this, Moses is dead. <laughs> and I was like, thanks uh, for that word. But I knew exactly what they meant by that. What they meant is that the old is gone. It's time to step into the new with full, complete confidence. And I needed to hear that. I needed to have permission to fully step into the new season that God had put in front of me. And so here's the thing about, the, if you look at the story of Joshua and the Israelites, you know that the Israelites were actually in a new season way before they understood it. Because it wasn't when they crossed the Jordan that they entered into a new season, although that was very, very significant. They actually entered into a new season when the baton was passed from Moses to Joshua. They, they were there. They just didn't realize it yet. And the truth is that, yes, every place that the sole of their feet would walk would be their possession. That was the promise. That was the new season. But the truth is that Joshua had already been there and crossed over in the spirit. You know, in Joshua chapter six, God says, see that I've already given Jericho into your hand. He had to see it by faith even before it happened. So he had been there in the spirit. But what's amazing is that Joshua had actually already been there physically and literally as well. Remember, he was one of the 12 spies. Only him and Caleb had, had been into the promised land and they actually set their feet there. And so the moment that the baton was passed from Moses to Joshua, the anointing was already unlocked for them to do it. And I want to suggest that many of us are possibly in the new season and we just don't know it yet. We have to be awakened to it. It doesn't have to be unlocked. We just have to be awakened to the new season that God has for us. And we have to start to walk in that new season. I want to suggest that we're in the overlap maybe of between two seasons and even spiritually as a church as we're coming out of this 100-day dare that we're in the overlap. We just have to awaken into it. You know, one of the things that God gave me was a word earlier this year, and I don't believe it's just for me. I believe it's also for the church. And he said this, you've been supernaturally sustained in the last season. Get ready to be supernaturally strengthened for the next. Let me say that again. You've been supernaturally sustained in the last season. Get ready to be supernaturally strengthened for the next. What does that mean? Well, at the beginning of the year when God, you know, we started this 100-day dare, I really felt like it was preparation time for what was next. So this was a season that we've been in that has been awesome, but it's just been preparation for the rest of the year. If some of you guys will remember back in September, we had a video by uh, Pastor Jimmy Evans. And in that video, he talked about some crucial things, uh, key things. My father-in-law made up a card for me to remind me of some of them. Let me just share what some of them are for us as a church. And it, it goes like this. We act like the only church in Liberty. 
That doesn't mean we're lone rangers and then we're arrogant about it or anything like that. That just means this, that what if we were the only church in Liberty? How would we act? Would we act passive or would we be aggressive for the kingdom of God? Of course, if we were the only church here, we would be aggressive for the kingdom of God. We want more people that we want people more than the devil does. We are a gate-taking force for the kingdom. We attack the gates of hell and liberty. We hate the devil. We love the people. You see, we have a choice to make as we're going into this new season or perhaps already in it. Are we going to be passive and hang on to the familiar? Or are we going to be followers of Jesus and go for what's ahead? You know, the choice was before the Israelites. Would they, when the new season came with Joshua, would they just stay on that side of the river? Or would they cross over and start marching around the walls of Jericho? I I just want to encourage us to pick up the horn like they did. They had to get their horns and start marching around. I just want to encourage us as Journey Church, let's put our hiking shoes on and let's go after all that God has for us for the rest of the year. Amen. Yeah, go ahead and give God some praise. We receive that, Lord. As we we prepare to close this down and dismiss, I want to do uh, a couple things all at the same time. So first off, I want to ask the band to go ahead and come back up. Let's have the band come. And then I'd like to ask you guys to stand up with me, if you would. And here's what we're going to do. Let's have our prayer ministry team people go ahead and come up. Like I said, we're going to do several things all at the same time here. And then here's what we're going to do. I'm going to pray over you, and then we're going to dismiss the service. The band's going to play this last song quietly. But as I dismiss, if you have any prayer needs of any kind... Uh, you are invited to come up here and, and have us pray with you. This is why we're here. We, need, we want to do this with you. And so if you have any prayer needs, please come forward, and one of these people will pray with you. But, but right now, I want, to pray, I want to pray over you. So, Father, Lord, we just are so grateful, God. We're so appreciative and thankful for what you have been doing these last 100 days. Lord, we've just taken a look at some of what has happened and some of what you've done. And I know that it's just a drop in the bucket of everything that you've been doing in people's lives, opening people's eyes, changing people's hearts, healing people. All kinds of things have been happening in these last 100 days. And Lord, we say we welcome this as an invitation to step into this new season. And we agree with what Pastor Sean just taught us through that video that Lord, you are establishing already a new season, and we see ourselves in an overlap of something new that you're doing. You're taking us deeper, and you're moving in a stronger way, and you're calling us to deeper places in you, more maturity, more strength, and we say yes to it. In the name of Jesus, we say yes. We agree, and we make a commitment, Lord God, to walk in this way and in this new season. And Lord, I just say, Lord, let these people be blessed as they go about their business this next week. Lord, let them be blessed in what they do. Let them be living out of the overflow of your spirit so that everybody they come into contact is affected by that. And I pray, Father, over these next coming days that you would begin to prepare our hearts for celebrating your resurrection and what it means and the impact that it has made, not only in our life, but this whole world, Lord God. Prepare our hearts for that and get us ready for it. In Jesus' name. And everybody shouted.
Amen. All right, you guys. Thank you. You're dismissed.